Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. As we continue through our Roots and Rays service challenge, we begin our week focusing on the phrase, I was naked and you gave me clothing. We are participating in opportunities to provide clothing for those in need, and I don't know if it was a coincidence or providence that as I am cleaning out my closet, there is a place to take all those clothes I need to donate. (laughs) I saw on Facebook recently a friend post that they say, dress for the job that you want. And so now I have to explain to HR why I came to work dressed like Batman. (laughs) Kate Spade, fashion designer, co-founder of the company, Kate Spade, that bears her name, made the statement, playing dress up begins at age five and never truly ends. The first part of that statement, if you do any research and look up developmental psychologists and early educators, they would agree. Children tend to begin playing dress up around age four or five. I have a child now, so I'm much more likely to come across things that developmental psychologists and early educators write looking at milestones, developmental checks, that happens. Coming across Batman, however, Lucy's not quite there yet. But I think the second portion of Kate Spade's quote is just as factual. Playing dress up never truly ends. We do that. Even if we aren't quote unquote playing, we use our clothes to say something about ourselves or to get ready for specific activities. We put on the uniform. We get ready for Sunday morning in our church clothes. We don our school outfits. Those of us who are clergy, we put on robes and stoles. Maybe you have a golf shirt and specific shoes for walking the fairway. Whatever we put on, we've made a decision about what we want to wear if we're lucky enough to make that decision for ourselves, that decision can have many factors. Do I like the color? Are these clothes appropriate for playing flag football or for going to a funeral? Do I need to wear a hospital gown? Do I want to represent my favorite movie franchise or superhero, or maybe my favorite sports team? Personally, that's Cleveland Cavaliers. Maybe some of you are putting on your eagle shirt or your Phillies outfit. Maybe the decision comes down to this is the t-shirt that's still clean, or smells clean at least. (laughs) We all do it. We all dress up. We get dressed every day. Every day we make decisions about what we're going to wear. What are we playing at this day? And while the clothes we wear may feel a little inconsequential, They are an important decision we make, even if that decision gets forced upon us. I, well, my mom actually helped dress Lucy, and my wife picked out the clothes, but Lucy didn't pick. We picked for her. We pick for ourselves, and hopefully we're not judging people based on the clothes that we wear, but when you see someone in a construction hard hat and a high-vis vest, you get an idea of what they're doing. Maybe you see an airline pilot 
and a captain's hat, or you see a pastor in their robe, you're immediately going to know something about who that person is and what they're doing. Maybe you've gotten one of the long-sleeved black t-shirts that Rachel made up for our service challenge captains to wear. You're able to tell something about somebody by the way that they're dressed. Again, you're not going to be able to tell everything, but you can tell something. And whether we're doing it consciously or unconsciously, we're playing dress-up every day. There was an article in the Daily Mail, and it was by a travel reviewer from Glasgow, who of all places went to Cleveland. And he wrote, in most parts of the world, if you wear a t-shirt bearing the name of a city, it would mark you out as a tourist. In Cleveland, things are different. If you're not wearing a t-shirt with the name of the city on it, you look like a tourist. And as someone who grew up in the Cleveland metro area, I can attest to this truth. And if you don't believe me, you can come help me pack and see how many shirts that have Cleveland or a Cleveland sports team on them, which could corroborate that observation. And it makes me wonder what we should wear, what can we put on that would tell the world, not necessarily that we're from Cleveland, Oh, that's a great place to be from. But what could we put on that would tell the world that we are members of the kingdom of God? What is the uniform that we could wear to tell the world that we are followers of Jesus, that the job that we're going to is that of a disciple? Well, the author of Colossians does tell us. It is to clothe yourself with compassion Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And above all, clothe yourselves with love. It's not a physical uniform, but it's a posture. It's an attitude, metaphorical clothing that make up the uniform for that job, the job of discipleship, the job of following who Jesus is and the call that Jesus places on our lives. And it's not just a call that comes to those of us who wear robes and stoles. One of the realities is that when you do wear those robes and stoles, when you try to follow those qualities of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, when you try to follow love, it can sometimes lead you to new places. It was that call, that attempt to put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love that God called me to work here call me as your designated associate pastor in the designated associate pastor nominating committee over about three and a half years ago offered an invitation that I accepted and it brought me here to Delaware to work. It is that same call, that same compassion, kindness, humility, that same love that now lead me down the road to Baltimore to serve in ministry with another congregation. There has been one or two things that have happened in those years since I first came. <laughs> I have a list, and you're laughing because you know what some of them are. I have a list. It is not exhaustive, and it is not in chronological order, so don't. But my wife and I move, my wife Essie and I, we moved to Northeast. William Shatner went to space. <laughs> Elon Musk bought Twitter. 
My wife, Essie, was ordained as a teaching elder. George Floyd was killed. The officers were convicted of his murder. Brianna Taylor was killed in her home. Ahmed, Ahmed Aubrey was killed while jogging. The United States withdrew troops from Afghanistan. We had seven confirmands who took confirmation on Zoom join this congregation as members. I ran in my first real 5K. I ran in a 5K with Lucy. She crossed the finish line before me. <laughs> my dad and my brother both happened to get new jobs. Red Clay celebrated a 300th anniversary. Greta Thunberg and Autumn Peltier called us to love God's creation a little bit more. There was this presidential election. I don't know if you've heard of it. The United States women's national team won a second consecutive FIFA World Cup and their fourth overall. There was the insurrection on January 6th. Roger Federer retired, and Serena Williams, in her own words, evolved away from professional tennis. <laughs> Rachel was hired and started working with us. Chadwick Boseman died. Betty White died. Jalen Hurts was drafted by the Eagles. <laughs> Essie and I both got COVID. Don't recommend it. Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Roe v. Wade was overturned. And there was that little COVID-19 pandemic that I'm pretty sure you have heard about. Pastor Randy left us. Pastor Nita was with us for a while. Pastor Nate was called. Pope Benedict died. Barbara Walters died. Barbara Walters passed away, and she was known for doing the ABC Evening News 2020. She was on The View. She had done many major interviews over the years, including with presidents. Journalists like Barbara Walters remind us of our own histories. They tell stories. The dawn of television helped connect us in a way that we hadn't been connected before. And there's a reason why I'm talking about Barbara Walters a little bit more than I've talked about some of the others, is because this is a fact that I find fascinating. I don't know how many of you know this. But Barbara Walters was born in 1929. Anne Frank was born in 1929. And so was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It makes my mind, I heard a wow, it makes my mind twist a little bit to think about those three figures of history who were all born in the same year. Maybe our histories aren't quite as disconnected as we like to put them in our heads. There's a relationship, there's connection through time. And I think our faith tells us that that connection stretches not just to 1929, not just to 1722, not just to Christ's life, but all the way back to creation. The Reverend Dr. King, whom we honor as a country tomorrow and this weekend, he wrote, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. We are related, interrelated. We are connected, communities and states, churches and people. He wrote those words as a part of the letter from a Birmingham jail. He was imprisoned there because he was a participant in nonviolent demonstrations against segregation. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote this letter in longhand, 
another way to connect us through the writing of letters. And it was his direct response to a public statement of concern and caution that was issued by eight white religious leaders of the South. So the Reverend Dr. King wrote a letter. In the grand Christian tradition, he wrote a letter. In our staff meeting this week, I asked that we titled our second reading, the reading from Colossians, as our epistle reading. Now, epistle may be unfamiliar. One of our staff members said, in my years of working here, I've never seen epistle written in the bulletin. But epistle is, is a way of saying a letter. There are 27 books in the New Testament, and if you have an MDiv, you're not allowed to answer. How many books of the 27 books of the New Testament do you think are epistles? Any guesses? It's less than 27, I can tell you that much. <laughs> 20, 23, it's 21. 21 books of the New Testament are letters. That's over 75% of the New Testament. A letter is a way that we are connected. It reminds us that our faith is about being connected, about being in one place and sending a message to another. It's telling that so much of our Christian canon takes the form of letters because, again, it is all about relationships. It's all about connections. Some of those relationships and letters speak highly. They provide encouragement, instructions, greetings on a very nice and gentle terms. Some of those relationships and connections and letters call for growth. They offer some correction. And I can just imagine the exasperated saying, get it together, y'all, when you read a few of them. They offer us a chance to make a choice. A choice to clothe yourself in love or a choice to do something else. The Reverend Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail challenged these white religious leaders and white moderates who he said were more devoted to order than to justice. He defended the direct action of the civil rights movement, and he did more in that letter. If you ever have a chance to read it, I would urge you to. You can find it very easily just by Googling letter from a Birmingham jail. If you've read it before, read it again. If you haven't read it, you should. The Reverend Dr. King recognized in that letter that we have choices, choices in what we do, choices in how we react. Do we work for justice? Do we, or do we protect systems of oppression? One of the criticisms that King was addressing was being called an extremist. And he actually owned that label in the letter. And he applied it to others who made great social change and progress in a world. He was asking, and quote, was not Jesus an extremist in love? Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. The Reverend Dr. King lifts up others, the prophet Amos, the apostle Paul, Martin Luther, John Bunyan, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson. He labels them as extremists as well as recognizing that wherever we stand in our lives, we will be viewed as extremists one way or the other. 
The Reverend Dr. King goes on and says, so the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists we will be. Will we be extremists for hate, or will we be extremists for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice, or will we be extremists for the cause of justice? Will we wear clothes of hate, or rather, will we wear clothes of justice, the clothes of love? Because we do have an option. We have a choice on how we're going to play dress up in our lives, about what we're going to do. There was another thing that happened in the, la in the years that I was here. In October of 2019, I was installed here at Red Clay. And during that service, there was a friend of mine from seminary who now serves a church here in Newcastle who had just started. It was a reminder of the small nature of our world, the small nature of our denomination that paths crossed once again. It was a reminder that we're interrelated. We're interconnected. Our communities are not as far apart as they may seem. And I am grateful for that reminder as I finish up my time here with you all, as I embark on a new call because we never quite know where our paths will go and who we will run into in this world and in this church. And it was at my installation that I asked Miriam to share words as I entered, it was early in my tenure here, as I was here at this ministry, and was here newly in this call with you all. And as a part of her charge to me, she shared these words from Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. She actually made me a shirt. It's a paper shirt, so I haven't quite figured out how to physically put it on to wear it like a hat. Up until a few days ago, it was taped on the wall in my office. It was above my computer screen on the right-hand side. It has the verses listed, Colossians 3, 12 to 14, across the bottom. Compassion, kindness, humility, Meekness, patience, and in a box, highlighted, love. I'm going to carry it with me each and every day, hoping that I can put these qualities on. I taped it to my wall as a reminder to me that as I worked here with you all, to carry it with me, to put on these qualities as we tried to do ministry together as a reminder that as I'm dressing up for my day, that I can choose these qualities. I can choose compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. As a reminder for me to choose love over anything else, choose love. I have tried my best to do that with you all. In my work, in our friendships, in our ministry, 
in some meetings that went a little bit too long, I tried my best to be patient. <laughs> there have been times I know I have fallen short. I know you all have been very patient with me. You have been compassionate and kind. You have been loving. But as I prepare to make my day way down the road to Baltimore, I urge you all to continue choosing kindness, compassion, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness. Put these qualities on and choose love. Because if you hear nothing else from me, hear this. You are loved. Amen.